Greetings and welcome to the Remote Real Estate Investor. My name is Tom Schneider and I'm here with Emil Shore and Michael Album. And today we're going to be talking about something that is near and dear to my heart. We're talking about building systems. We're talking about automation. We're talking about scaling. Uh, we're going to touch on these topics and a couple of specific strategies as it relates to acquisitions and ownership. All right, let's do it. All right. Welcome back to the Remote Real Estate Investor. Before we get going today, we're going to do a quick introduction from the host, a little bit about ourselves and our experience and background and all that good stuff. So, Michael, why don't you go ahead and lead us off? Sure. So, I'm Michael Album. I used to work in my past life as a professional fire protection engineer in the commercial property insurance industry. So, everyone has to bear with me if I speak in math terms because I'm a reformed engineer. Been an investor for about better part of a decade and started very traditionally with single families. And now I've found, found my stride and niche with multifamily value add projects out in the Midwest. And I'm also the head coach of the Rookstock Academy program. Emil, can you introduce us to yourself and your mustache? Hey, everybody. My name is Emil Shore. I work on the marketing team here at Roofstock. My fun fact is I actually bought a couple properties through Roofstock before I was ever working here. I was a big fan of what the company was doing and now lucky enough to get to help spread the word. And I own a couple single family rentals across the Southeast and Midwest. And my name is Tom Schneider. I am the Director of Investor Education here at Roofstock. My career has been focusing on putting technology process to scale and build systems. So this episode is particularly exciting for me, is how I do this personally with my investing. I've been in real estate investing for over the past 10 years, and I'm also a California broker. Nice. The only one of us who's licensed. Where, do you have your license hung somewhere? As a broker, you can just hang it right, right around here. Yeah, hang it on yourself. Hang it on myself. The broker test isn't so much more work than just the agent test, right? It is. They've made it harder. When I got my broker's license, it wasn't quite as difficult, but they made the experience requirements a lot more difficult. It was mm. kind of funny. I initially worked in acquisitions for one of the publicly traded REITs, and literally the day that I passed the broker test, the person who was leading our technology says, hey, Tom, we need a can-do guy to help build out a bunch of systems. And I was like, okay, cool, let's do it. So I, I got my broker's license and then proceeded to never use it <laughs> until, <laughs> until I did use it when I bought my own house. So I guess it paid for itself there. What is the difference between an agent and a broker? I'll tell you, I should kind of have an idea on this. So <laughs> an agent needs their license to be hung underneath a broker. The idea is a broker understands the business a little more and folks who are agents can eventually become a broker if they wish to they basically can operate on their own so within california you can yeah apply for an agent or a broker and the broker aspect the test is a little bit harder and the requirements to get it is a little bit more difficult got it so a broker can do everything an agent can do but an agent can't do everything a broker can do Yes. Yes, that's correct. It's a good way to put it. Getting ready for my broker test. That's awesome. I've already learned something on this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Early and often, baby. Early and often. <laughs> All right. We'll jump into some system stuff. So we have a variety of different things, and we're going to have a different one of the hosts take the lead in talking about. So we're going to start with acquisitions. And Emil, why don't you lead us off on some systems, some practical systems that folks can do on their own? Yeah. So these might be a little obvious, but I still think it's worth stating 
set up automated filters and alerts on the places you look for properties. If you're on Roofstock, if you guys are familiar, Roofstock is our marketplace where people can buy and sell single-family rental properties. You can go and filter by whatever meets your criteria and save that filter so you get notifications when new properties hit the site that meet that filter requirement. Same thing on other sites like Zillow or Redfin or Realtor.com. Wherever you're, Once you've figured out your buy box, and I'll talk about that in a second, defining it, plugging in as a filter so you get automatic notifications because you want to be on top of those listings right when they hit the site. Right? It's a lot more effective than just constantly going on them and, and checking new listings, even though I do that all the time anyway as well. I don't know about you guys, but I constantly get notifications from Zillow and Redfin about new properties that have hit the market, but I didn't save a filter or even, you know, I searched there twice or three times and now I was like, oh, great, you're super hungry for properties in that market. <laughs> so I'm just getting blasted by these emails. Yes. Every time I look at realtor.com, like I was curious the other day about like, what do multifamily in Bakersfield sell for? And now I've just, I've been getting Bakersfield filter notifications yeah. from realtor.com. It's like, man. What's cool about these websites and the filters, a little pro tip is you can get really granular with your filters and set up multiple filters. Mm. So what I'll do is on my inbox that I have, I'll set up multiple inboxes and I'll set up a filter within my, I'm going to, we're going to do filters on filters. This is a, a very layered filter. Filterception. Filter <laughs> yeah. Very meta. So within my Inbox, shout out to Gmail. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Gmail, let us know if you want to sponsor the podcast. Google. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've never heard of this Gmail, but Tom Schneider talked about it. <laughs> Anywho, I'll set up so like a master folder for like incoming property leads, right? Then within that, I'll set up additional folders for each different type of either region or property type. So as new listings that meet my criteria are hitting, I have them in a nice clean folder. So, oh, great, a new Florida property that's a duplex in this area. And I have a special folder for that. What I'll also do is oftentimes timing can be pretty important and moving quickly. Instead of setting up a filter that comes just once a week or once a month, since I have this infrastructure within my Google Gmail, shout out again, I'll have it actually do in real time. So I'm not getting pinged in my main inbox if I'm working on some other stuff, but I have a way to see immediately based on whatever that criteria, it's hitting that inbox. So again, the super simple paraphrase, but this isn't that complicated. I have a bunch of different inboxes within my Gmail. And then within my buying platforms, I'll set up many filters and many alerts and many immediate alerts. So it'll hit right into my Gmail and I'll know at that time, all right, this one looks pretty good and I can move pretty quickly. And I don't have that issue of, oh, this property, it's already pending. Like I'm not passively looking for it. It's proactively hitting me as soon as it hits the market and I can act and jump on it. So that was my extra tidbit on that piece of mail. <laughs> that description, Tom, was amazing. It gave me such a visual of kind of how you operate and it made me reflect about how I operate. And you, I'm picturing this nice, neat cubby with nice sectioned organizers and mine's like, just a freaking melted pizza with just crap everywhere. <laughs> it's I'm so jealous. I want to be like you and I grew up and have these systems put in place. I love that. That's why we make a great team, Michael. That's why we make a great team. <laughs> yeah. Cubby man and melted pizza. Mel oh, yeah. I'm not surprised. Tom is like the most organized out of all of us internally. Yeah. And I'm not surprised when it comes to acquisitions. You're equally as organized. Pick and choose. Pick and choose. There's definitely lots of messes. So one thing, if you're going to one of the sites we mentioned and you're not sure how you should set your criteria, just know that it's okay to start a little wider 
And then as you've looked at more and more listings, I think you'll get better at defining your buy box. I know we talk about it a lot and we say, okay, build your buy box. And sometimes it's hard to just like know what to choose, right? I kind of started larger. For example, I chose a couple different markets, couple different property size, like a bigger property size. I like it. Don't feel that you need to shoot with a sniper. You, I keep using these weapon analogies, but it's okay if you're not sure to start with like a broader spray and then work your way down as you refine what you're looking for. But I'd say it's better to, to keep it an open, an open range and then, then shrink that down. Neck it down, yeah. Yep, exactly. And also because sometimes whoever uploaded the listing, sometimes they don't include that information, right? So if you have like really, really specific defined criteria, you may miss something where whoever listed it, the seller or the agent or whatever, just didn't submit that information and it doesn't hit the filter. I've noticed that on a couple of things. And just a pro tip for everybody listening too, if your budget is a hundred grand on the high end, set your filter up to 120 to include properties that are listed above that because you might offer hundred K and get it versus mm. if you set your filter criteria right at your end budget, you might never have seen those properties. Yeah, great tip. Yeah, go like 10, 20% above what you are actually planning on spending. Mm-hmm. It also gives you an idea of what the next tier of property looks like. So if you did want to ultimately spend more, you know, what would that buy you? One last piece of advice on building a buy box is to think about how many properties do you practically want to evaluate at a given time? And you can control this with your buy box by how you know, targeted it is. So if I have a lot of time and I want to look at a lot of product properties, I'm going to have a really wide buy box. If I don't have a lot of time right now to evaluate properties, I'm going to tighten my buy box down a little bit. So one way to think about it is to work backwards about what your kind of capacity is for evaluating effectively. It's also, I think when you're first starting out, I think it's okay to, again, to nail this point of going a little broader. I think with time and experience and having different property types, you'll start to get an idea of like, this is the exact property I want in this exact area. Awesome. Michael, do you want to jump on your next acquisition system? Yeah, absolutely. So, so much of this, in addition to searching, can be done socially, kind of quote unquote. And so just talking to everybody who's willing to listen, and maybe even some of those who aren't, about what it is that you're looking for. So just in everyday conversations, talk to friends, family members, people in your network about what it is you're doing and what it is you're looking to do because so many eyes are going to be better than, than just one set. So if someone then comes across a property just in their everyday life and thinks, oh, wow, I remember Tom mentioning that he was kind of looking for something like this, that can be a great deal funnel for you as well. Property managers can also be a fantastic, fantastic source of, of deals for you, which is pretty automatic. You just tell them, hey, this is what I'm looking for. You, you set your filter, so to speak, with them. And any property that comes across their radar, oh, hey, yeah, I remember, you know, Emil, I kind of manage this property for him and he's looking for something like this. It becomes so easy and so automatic that it's one of those things you can just kind of say it and continue saying it and then forget it. There's not a whole lot of nurturing that has to be done with those type of things other than some, you know, reminders. And don't be the person that, hey, have you found any properties yet? Hey, have you found any properties? Just put it out into the universe and just kind of let it let it bake for a bit and see what's like the secret. That's right. Do you guys remember that, that book? That <laughs> I'm still waiting for that check in the mail. Wasn't it the secret and then the answer as a follow-up or something? Yeah. <laughs> incredible marketing. Incredible. <laughs> I didn't read that one. What's, what's the secret about? It's the laws of attraction. Ah, uh, okay, okay. It's when you focus on something for long enough 
and eventually it'll come to you, essentially. That's right. Just think it into existence. You don't have to actually do anything. Just think about it every day. Hope for it every morning, but no action required. Just think about it. So it's interesting. So for the Academy Book Club, we just did Think and Grow Rich. And I thought that, you know, that was such a great title by Napoleon Hill. And we read it and I thought it was really awesome and talked about a lot of kind of high level things, mindset type stuff. And it was talked about very similar type stuff. And it was, it was interesting. But they're also talking about, you know, if, if we stand around here and talk about blue cars, we'll probably go out and see a bunch more blue cars. And it's not so much that there are more blue cars on the road. It's just that now we're cognizant of that thing. It's kind of front of mind. So it appears more often for us. Yeah. I love that example, Michael, because not all systems are digital or not all systems are technology, but it's it's leveraging the people side of your network of funneling in deals through that. So at the end of the day, like a lot of real estate is, is a people business and nurturing that and building those systems that you want of funneling them in deals is excellent. All the real estate meetups that I went to um, pre-COVID, they all talk about, they'll usually start or end with the needs and wants section. So People talk about, okay, this is what I need, or is it have and wants? Maybe that's what it's a give and a take, maybe. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. You announce to the group what it is that you have to offer to the group and then what it is that you're looking for from the group or from in general. So people say, I have money and I'm looking for a deal or whatever. And so it's those are great opportunities as well. And so again, just kind of reiterating, put it out to the world. Don't be embarrassed by it. Don't be shy about it. Just make it known what it is you're looking for because it's tough to help people if you, you know, they haven't told you what it is that they're looking for. Good tip. Awesome. Great example. All right. So I'll touch on the last acquisition related system slash tip slash ways to scale. And this is a special perk that we have within Roofstock Academy is that members can actually export the listings on Roofstock into Excel. And whenever you can do things, evaluating a lot of deals at once, like doing it in Excel, that's a, a great way to do it. So I guess that the main theme is, you know, try to batch processes together. And in this particular example of being able to download all the listings in Excel, batch that whole evaluation of the whole inventory, you know, in one run where, okay, I'm filtering down to these particular property types or, oh, I'm filtering down for this particular return. So being able, if you can get a spreadsheet of what you're evaluating or any kind of way being able to batch it together, do it, saves time. And for anybody that's really intimidated by Excel, because I know it can often seem very intimidating, there are some really great free courses on YouTube. There are also paid courses if, if you want to get more in depth with it about how to use Excel and maybe how to do some of that batch sorting, because it's a really powerful tool. So I guess we're plugging Excel and, and Gmail in this episode. Shout out to Google and Microsoft. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's, <laughs> let's continue on. We're going to go into ownership now. And Emil, why don't you lead us off? Cool. All right. So the first one we're going to be talking about is cash flow automation. So the first thing I do, and you guys let me know if you do this as well, I set up auto pay on all my mortgages. I don't want to think about, did I pay this mortgage? Do I have to mail a check? I auto pay everything just to make it super easy, especially when you have multiple properties. Automating it is like step number one. Do you guys do that as well? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Do you also impound your insurance and property taxes when you pay your mortgage payment? So I do. I know a lot of people won't because they want that capital and would rather use it throughout the year versus giving it to your lender to hold it to whatever, like to be able to use that capital. I just don't want to have to think about like, okay, I need to come up with X amount to pay my property tax and insurance. It's kind of like duping yourself into thinking you're richer than you are. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't use the impound accounts. I will if they'll give me a better rate for the mortgage. And then as soon as the loan closes, I cancel the escrow account and just pay it myself. <laughs> but Sneaky move, Michael. It's something I'm considering doing just from, like Emil mentioned, ease of operations. It's just one less thing to think about. So it can be great either way. Why do you not impound it? For the exact reason you mentioned, there are significant funds that are going to be paid to property taxes and insurance on an annual basis. And so I'd rather have that kind of, while that one-time hit is kind of a bummer, I'm able to use that cash. I mean, it's a significant amount such that it's usable on a monthly basis to do Mm -hmm. other stuff with. And so I just know in the back of my mind that, okay, come this time of year, I've got this big, big property tax bill that's going to be due. Yeah. I wonder if there is something there in terms of like, at a certain scale, it's a lot more money to be working with versus like, let's say you have one to five properties just for ease. And it's not that much extra capital that you'd be able to do something with. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I mean, I think everyone should think about it for themselves because even at that five property level, one to five, your property tax bill could be, you know, $25,000 if we're talking Bay Area or New York. That's true. Yeah, good point. Just to clarify, impounding your taxes insurance is, uh, if you haven't deduced this or don't already know this, it's when you pay your mortgage payment, the mortgage company will also collect a percentage of the t- annual taxes. They'll take one twelfth of the annual tax bill yes. and one twelfth of the annual insurance bill with your mortgage payment on a monthly basis so that you're paying equal payments every month. You're not getting hit with a tax bill or insurance bill just at one time. And then the mortgage company will just pay it for you. So you don't have to think about it. So Boom. That's another system. That's a yeah, good question about, you know, do you use that money in the meantime if you don't have to pay it for 12 months? But that could be another potential system. All right, Emil, I broke your flow. All right. <laughs> Finishing up there. My favorite thing is when they audit your account and you have an excess oh. balance and they send you like a check for a couple hundred bucks and you're like, ooh, it's like a Christmas bonus or something. Hanukkah bonus, baby, for me. I think I might have mentioned this on another podcast. I like it, but it pisses me off because I'm like, oh, geez, what check am I missing? Yeah. It makes me think like, okay, this is great having this check, but I'm like, like honestly concerned that like I, I may have missed something in the mail because man, there is just so much junk mail as a real estate investor, the wholesalers that email you all kinds of things and like just general getting a lot of mail. I just get really concerned that I see a check here. That's awesome. But what checks am I not seeing just right. because they're buried in between a Serena and Lily or whatever, restoration <laughs> hardware, like catalog that's like five pounds and 500 pages. Anyways, go ahead. Wait, no, no, please continue your rant. I want another. <laughs> I got to build it up a little bit. I got to build it up a little bit. <laughs> Tell us more about what other junk mail you received. <laughs> we buy ugly houses. So many of those. <laughs> yeah. Wholesalers. If, if there's any wholesalers listening, I went off your emails. Anyway, <laughs> okay. So the next one, this one's probably obvious. A lot of people setting up ACH auto payment from your property manager. So they collect your rent checks. I don't even know if any property managers do this, but like sending you a check in the mail. I imagine most people already set up. You're raising your hand, Michael, because do you do that? I used to get paper checks because my property manager was pretty old school. And I said, please, 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 please. Can we do this another way? Yeah. This is just not awesome anymore. I mean, so that should be like even part of your PM property management vetting, right? Like, do you do, (laughs) do you have an online portal where you ACH payments to me? Mm -hmm. So just make sure you set that up if it's an option. Most property managers in 2020 will have that now. I don't know, maybe Michael went to one that was established in 1925 or something. 1833. 1830. First bank. Uh, 
Is this the one in Alaska? No, it's actually uh, properties that I had in, I've since sold them, but they're in Missouri, kind of rural Missouri. And so just to expand upon this a little bit is, I think we've talked about it in another episode, but my property manager there was only willing to use a certain bank or the local bank branch wasn't anything that we had locally or that I used. So they would go to this bank, deposit the rent check, and then would cut me a check to my bank. It was just a whole pain in the butt kind of thing. So what we've automated is now they'll deposit the rent check and then those rent checks will get bill paid from that bank to my local bank where I actually do my banking and then from there get distributed. And so if you can automate as many of those processes as possible, it becomes much easier. So ACH transfer uh, potentially from multiple bank accounts to multiple bank accounts. You hiding something, Michael? I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> Ever been to the Cayman Islands? <laughs> That's interesting. That, yeah, the local property manager had a preferred bank that they worked with. And yeah. Yeah, there's just like no Wells Fargo or B of A or Union Bank out there. So they're like, this is what we use. It's like, cool. Pony Express it over to me. <laughs> Carrier pigeon. That's right. So the last one in this section, we recommend I do this. I have a separate bank account for all real estate stuff. It just makes things easier, especially come tax time. I also just like having it separate because I try to treat real estate investing like a business to have its own checking account. Checking account, I use Chase. It's free to set up another checking account. And it's just much easier to track things going in and out and it'll make your CPA's life easier. Do you guys do that as well? I was going to ask if you guys have separate accounts for every property. You know, it's funny. I just got off a a Rooster Academy coaching session before we started recording this episode. And we were just jumping into it with a member exactly on this topic. I don't. I use just one account for all properties. It's just, I don't know, easier. And you know I, I don't understand necessarily see the value. Not that it's a lot of overhead to have different bank accounts because you can set them up for free on so many different banks. But I just use one for all the rental properties. And yourself, Michael? I have one account per LLC. And so I've got LLCs that own multiple properties. So all oh, those kind sense. of funnel into that one. Yeah. What about you, Emil? I'm just one checking account where everything funnels into. Nice. Just for ease. Makes it easy. Yeah. What would be one of the benefits of setting up an individual bank account for each property? A benefit of setting up, if you were to set up a different bank account for each property, you know, what I like about it at a portfolio level is I just have a really tight grip on cash flow within that portfolio. If I was to do it at an individual property, man, it would be just so clear if I'm making money or losing money. You know, we have these assumptions that we use when we are acquiring properties, but ultimately, you know, when the rubber hits the road, you hope to hit those or even exceed them. But you know, by having an individual bank account for that property, you have a really immediate transparent view into, is this property performing to how I was projecting it with the cash flow? I was going to say, it's a really good question, Pierre, and I'm glad you asked it. So because I only have the one bank account set up, I think I'm echoing Tom's viewpoints and opinions that, yeah, it's very easy to see what the actual numbers are. But I found that I just keep an Excel file, very detailed document of, hey, anytime there's an expense on a given property, I log it the date, the expense, and then the dollar amount. And so that for me suffices as a very similar type of scenario. Without the headache, I would argue of having 10 different property accounts searching through which one has what. I've got it all in a file. For me, that's worked really, really well over the years. And your property manager, a lot of them, you'll have a portal where you'll be able to see all your rent, all the management fees they've taken. They handle a lot of the smaller maintenance So you'll see those expenses as well. So you also have your property manager you can lean on that's going to keep track of a lot of this stuff. The only other thing to track outside of that would be your 
payments to your lender and then property taxes and insurance. I mean, there's all kinds of miscellaneous stuff that you'll likely have to pay outside of that. So like business licenses, if you're required in that state or LLC fees, franchise tax fees in, Mm. you know, wherever you live and wherever it's registered, just misc, I I call it miscellaneous stuff. And I just attach that to each property and whatever it's paid for. You know, you might have to pay a contractor something if if that's outside the scope of what your property manager is doing. And so having a place to document all of that, I find it very, very helpful. Yep. I also keep a detailed Excel. I don't do it every month. I do it like biannually. Do you do it when you incur the expense or you do it as a reconciliation every, you know, twice a year? The latter. I do reconciliation. It's probably not the best, but I don't know. I'm a pro- Yeah. I mean, we're talking about automation. Here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, we're telling you what to aim for. We're not necessarily saying we <laughs> all we do, do this all the time. Do as I say, not as I do. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, you don't have to be perfect in all these areas. We're giving people just different ideas, you know, what makes sense to automate. Cool. Well, it's one of those things, too. Like, we all have bad habits that we've fallen into over the years. And now, in hindsight, we'd say, man, I wish I had formed this better habit. So here's what I would do differently. And it's so hard to break those bad habits. Like, it's so hard. Get in the groove, for sure. (laughs) Yep. Very true. One other thing, we don't have it here, but I want to talk about it as well. This kind of goes back to acquisition automation, but it goes back to the concept of paying yourself first. So a lot of us, you know, we have a full-time job or we have W-2, whatever it is. Make sure you set up like an automatic percentage that every paycheck coming in is going towards your investing. So right now, like my process is 20% of every paycheck automatically gets taken out of my checking put into a separate investing account. And I highly recommend people who are listening, check out a website called I Will Teach You To Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. He has this awesome guide. If you look up, I Will Teach You To Be Rich personal finance guide. It shows you how to automate all this stuff, like having separate accounts for different things you're saving up for. I found that super easy and like a really good way to separate your money and like have kind of different categories and use them for separate things. So I have a separate investing savings account that automatically, you know, income coming in goes into that. So it's another automation thing I do. Piggybacking off that, Emil, I've also automated paying myself first from the rental amount every month. Hmm. So when we do our analyses, we see, okay, we've got the mortgage payment, the property tax, all these other expenses that may or may not actually occur on a monthly basis but we modeled them that way. So it makes the cash flow easier to understand. And so your property manager is going to collect rent. They're going to take their fee and they're going to give you the rest. Well, now that's a huge chunk of change, but we've still got to pay some of these other expenses. And so we all have calculated on a monthly basis what our cash flow should be. And so I will automatically set up that deduction amount from my property bank account going to my personal bank account if I'm planning on using that cash flow for everyday life stuff. So if it's a hundred bucks a month, I just receive rent on the 10th or whatever of the month. And then I automatically have a $100 transfer into my personal account. Everything else stays in the property account to then pay all those other expenses for. And at the end of the year, if you had a good year, you might have some extra dollars left over and you can pay yourself again. Or if you had a bad year, you might need to put some additional money back into that. But it's a really easy way to just start collecting money from your properties without overdoing it. That's a great tip. I like it. So the next operational system I'll I'll jump on has to do with uh, documentation. So if you're an active investor, you will be regularly buying new properties. You will be regularly refinancing. Had a good episode. I guess it would be two weeks ago. Once this episode is launched on ways to take out equity, 
Anywho, when you are going through that exercise, you're going to need the same documents again and again and again. You're going to need a copy of the current lease. You're going to need a certificate of insurance. You're going to need a sample mortgage payment. And what I like to do with this is to streamline this process, is set up a folder structure that is secure. There's a couple of different platforms out there, Dropbox, maybe even Google Drive, but you know, in a secure folder online, I'll have my relevant documents in there. And then I can use sharing functionality to give it specifically to my lender or specifically to my CPA. That way, I'm not needing to constantly track down these documents that I'm going to need again and again and again. And I can safely share it with whoever needs it. So the main takeaway for this system, I guess you can call it that, is you know don't sleep on it. Just have that document structure set up. Uh, do it once and do it right and do it early. And then have that available for whenever you go through one of these maneuvers, be it refinancing or taking on a new loan or going through tax time. Awesome. It's so valuable. I know for my first property, I didn't have these systems really set up in place. I thought I did. And then came tax time and I was like, oh my God, like I'm so, this is going to take so long to figure this out and go back and collect all these things. So, you know, it's one of those things that's tough to know what you're looking for until you know what to look for. So ask somebody, ask, you know, ask your CPA, ask your tax professional, Hey, I'm investing in real estate. What things are you going to need from me at the end of the year? They're going to tell you, oh, okay, we need your 1098. We're going to need all your expenses, property tax receipts, all these type of things. So that way you can start that ahead of time, developing and building these good habits and systems. It makes it so much easier come tax time. I don't have anything else said and neither does my mustache. So good job guys. Excellent. I actually thought of this while you were talking about it. So I love the concept of paying yourself first, right? And with paying yourself first, when you get your paycheck, it's pretty straightforward, right? You take the first 10%, 20%, whatever, and you either save it or spend it however. I like to think about this with your day. So paying yourself first, the first 10% of your day, how are you guys going to pay yourself first with the first 10% of your day? And you're not allowed to say surfing. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go one level up then and just say exercising. I think exercising for me has become as equally as important for my mental well-being for the day as it is physical. So for me, that's how I pay myself first to start the day right. What are you doing for exercise? Surfing. Surfing. I wish more surfing. (laughs) Having a a small child will put a dent in your surfing ability. And it's summer, so the waves are a little slower. I will do, I'll either go for a run or I will do a combination of like push-ups, pull-ups, or I also use this thing called the seven minute workout app. It's literally a seven minute hit workout. I don't do long workouts. I don't like, I don't know. I used to spend more time working out, but for me, it's just a matter of like doing it almost daily to just start the day right, whether it's seven minutes or 30 minutes. Classic Emil fashion. He stole my answer, but that's okay. That's why I went first because I knew uh, you were going to try to yeah, take that yeah. one. So not surfing, but I like to do kite surfing. In the, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I also work out, do exercise in the morning. I find that getting my blood pumping helps kind of burn off that haziness in the morning. But since Emil took that already, I really like journaling in the morning, just even for a few minutes, a few paragraphs, just kind of what I'm thinking about, what's going on personally in my life and, and what my goals are. I've read that book, Think and Grow Rich and that reaffirm that journaling is a super powerful tool. I've always known it, but again, it's one of those bad habits that it's hard to break into if you're not used to doing it. So starting slow and just trying to get my thoughts out on paper outside of myself, I find to be helpful and worthwhile. What about you, Tom? 
So my, the first 10% of my day has gotten a lot earlier with a small child. So, you know, it's, it's now like the, you know, late fives, early 6am is the first 10% of my day, but excellent partnership with my wife helping out. Some days. <laughs> well, she has the line share for sure, but on the extra early days. All right. I, I'm digressing. Okay. Going <laughs> on a walk. So, I mean, I guess this is exercise. Sure. Why not? So getting the baby early morning, throwing him in the little jogger or the stroller and just <laughs> walking around the street in the morning. When like everything's still quiet and the sun's just creeping up over the hills and the fog's kind of lifting, I'll journal in my head. I, I don't know. <laughs> so like walking around in the early morning when nothing else is going on, I think that's a fine first 10% of the day way to pay yourself first. I was going to say the only person without a baby, just a PSA, you know, you probably shouldn't throw babies into or at anything, whether no. it's jogger or cribs. Uh, oh, they're, they're pretty durable, but I mean, they, <laughs> yeah, safety for, for sure. <laughs> they are very durable. Anti-fragile. 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 There you go. Yes. Get stronger with it. Yeah. How about yourself? Your first 10% of the day. I like to save my working out for the end of the day so I can have a break between my work day and the evening. So the morning is a good time for me to read. I used to read a lot in the morning. Baby killed that. (laughs) Got anything good? Any books? good books going? I'm a little bit behind with the book club, but I'm reading the book that Michael chose for the RSA book club. Never split the difference. Nice. Great book. And this morning I read the ebook that Emil sent me and the article on how to write better titles for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Got to come up with good titles, man. Got to keep our audience clicking. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Speaking of our audience, if anybody has any thoughts, suggestions, insights, hot topics they want to hear about, please feel free to let us know at Emil Shore at Roostock.com or, or E Shore at Roostock.com, M Album at Roostock.com or Tom at Roostock.com. Or hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Emil Shore. Michael, you're at Album Michael. Yeah, I think that's and it. And Tom, you are? I'm not positive. I am T. Schneido. Freaky Deaky Tom. It's, you know, created it like whatever, 15 years ago, something like that. I like it. Skater Dude 27. <laughs> Skater Dude, yeah. <laughs> With an eight for, for the. Exactly. Awesome, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening today to our episode. We hope that you got some value out of it. If you liked it, please don't be shy. Please rate us. Please subscribe. As Emil said and Michael said, reach out to us. We'd love to hear your feedback on future content to do and to keep driving. So, all right. Happy investing. Happy investing. Happy investing. Happy investing.